Welcome to the Room Now podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Cush. In this podcast, a special podcast, we're going to do a primer or an overview on rheumatology clinical trials, answering the question, should you be involved in research and clinical trials in rheumatology? I want to tell you back in 1984, my then mentor and chief of rheumatology, Dr. Peter Lipsky, uh, asked me if I wanted to be famous, and I said, no, I want to be rich. And he said, forget about that. You're a rheumatologist, kid. You might have a chance at fame if you do clinical trials. I got started in doing non-steroidal trials back in 1984, 1985. I think my first trials were in the area of osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis with fluorbiprofen, also known as NSAID, A-N-S-A-I-D, which stands for another NSAID. And that's how it got its name. So from there, I was then getting involved in clinical trials and, and learning rheumatology and also doing lab work. And, you know, we started doing translational work using clinical trial patients um, to study the immunology of rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Uh, and that then blossomed into studies in biologics, etc. But the question is, again, whether you should get involved in this. Not everybody gets the opportunity, but a lot of people are interested in this. There are a lot of different kinds of research that one could get involved in, not just drug studies, which is what I've been talking about till now. But you could be involved in patient outcomes research, um, translational research. You know, a scientist may want to pair up with you, the clinician, who can get them patient information and also patient samples, whether that be blood, synovial fluid, synovial tissue, urine, etc. Um, there's, you know, there's retrospective studies, there's case control studies, there's all kinds of, there's financial studies, there's, there's uh, internet-based research, there's a lot of things you can do. The net result of research, of course, is one better understanding of the disease or state that you're um, involved with studying, and then two, uh, that you get to publish your results and then hopefully even get to teach on those results. Beyond that, there are benefits to your institution, to your patients, and to you professionally. So I think you should be involved in research in rheumatology because one, we need more research. There isn't enough people going to research. When I entered rheumatology in 1984, I wanted to be a you know, a, a card-carrying, prescription-writing, clinical rheumatologist took care of patients with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Little did I know I was going to get involved in uh, bench science and translational science and biologic drug development and really um, do a lot more. It was actually much more common back then for young uh, trainees to get involved in it. Not so much anymore, and as such, there's very few people who leave their fellowship with a firm knowledge of clinical trials. When you do clinical trials as a fellow, you basically do double, triple, or quadruple the amount of joint exams. And I would tell you the number of joint exams um, dictates how good you're going to be at it, since most of you really don't do full 66 joint examinations, or even 28. I do it on everyone, even fibromyalgia, even OA with one CMC involved, they all get a joint count because that's what I started doing. And ultimately, that discipline makes me a better rheumatologist. Clinical trials 
easily make you a better rheumatologist because through repetition, you hone your skills. Moreover, if you stick with clinical trials, you'll be known for that. You'll be known for excellence in one thing. Excellence in one thing becomes excellence in many things in one's career, as I have talked about here and on my website before. That one thing, that is really what determines your future. I think, obviously, you get the opportunity to be involved in new drug development, new areas of, of therapeutics that others, including your peers and your patients, would not normally have exposure to. It expands your base of knowledge. It makes you more comfortable talking about trials, using advanced therapies, etc. The one big question I always get is, can I make more money? And the answer is absolutely. More money for your institution, more money for your group practice, more money for you as a solo practitioner. But herein lies a number of pitfalls. I was once approached by a group who asked me, hey, do you think you could teach us how to do clinical trials and would that help us? And if we did clinical trials and we're seeing a patient, can we bill Medicare on the same day we're billing the drug company for the clinical trial visit? And the answer is no. That's an ethical violation and you can't double dip. When that patient comes in for their regularly scheduled appointment, they're scheduled to be billed probably by Medicare or their commercial carrier or whatever would be set up uh, prior to the visit. That may change as a result of the patient becoming involved in clinical trials research, meaning that they, you explained it, they were interested, you, you did the informed consent, they signed the informed consent, you did your first visit. Now that visit, visit is going to be billed to the drug study that you're enrolled in. Now, obviously, you have to be involved in a drug study to get that far. So here's the, one of the problems. One, too many people want to get into clinical trials for money. And while you can do very well money-wise, if you do clinical trials, most of you will never be able to do clinical trials. Theoretically, you should all be able to do clinical trials. But my experience has taught me over the last um, bazillion years, 38 years, whatever, that the vast majority of rheumatologists, and I'm looking at many, many fellows, many, many young faculty, are unable to be clinical trials because you're unable to think with two minds. How do you see someone who's got a problem? Their psoriatic arthritis is not doing well. Their RA is flaring. Their lupus has not done well since the beginning. And then you obviously take on that patient's and all their problems. You develop your problem list. You address the problems. You have your way. You're expert at this. You're really good at this. Oh, you forgot to talk about the clinical trial opportunity that may be reasonable in that patient. But then if you're a novice, you don't know. How do I put a clinical trial option into my other treatment options and be fair to the patient, especially if I stand to gain financially by enrolling a patient in clinical trials? Is that not a conflict of interest? It can be. But ultimately, you have to be fair to your patients. Give them all the options. And, and not tell them, you know, go with this one. This one is the best one. I would do this if I were you. Those are, those are misleading words. Uh, and putting a patient in a clinical trial isn't always uh, at the patient's demise in your financial benefit. I would argue quite strongly that patients in clinical trials get better care and have better outcomes than patients who are not in clinical trials. And you can't argue with me unless you've been doing clinical trials for 30 years, as I have. So, the big mistake is to do it for money when money is not in the game. The second big mistake is to think you can do it when you can't do it. Because 
one, you're probably going to cheap out, meaning you're not, you have to have a team of people who, some will do the financial stuff, some will do the, the record keeping, some will do, you know, you need a study coordinator, but most docs who get into this don't hire a real clinical trials coordinator. They hire uh, the woman who also draws the blood or this, the person who does the scheduling and they make that the study coordinator. They don't know what they're doing. And this is a business. This is big business. You want to make money in clinical trials? Hire a pro. You may not be a pro, but hire a clinical trials coordinator to teach you how to play the game. How else are you going to learn? The only way you're going to learn is by doing the trials. You won't get to do clinical trials unless you have someone who can do them. And if you don't have experience, that's not you. It's got to be the people you hire. And then what do you do? You go to uh, 101 new drug study launches where you go and you learn A to Z about the protocol, A to Z about how patients are being managed. You learn the people who are doing clinical trials. You learn the federal regulations and the ethics around clinical trials. These are all gigantically important. And lastly, you won't succeed because, again, it's really hard to think clinical trials when you're so immersed in the clinical care of someone who's really quite sick in front of you and you want to give them the best options. So a few things to get involved. Um, how, uh, for you to get involved, I think there are some ways that you, some places you should look. If you work for an institution or a practice, maybe they already have a clinical trials activity. This is where you volunteer. This is where you get on on board. You start out as the guy who washes the floors and does the paperwork, and then you work your way up through the mailroom to become CEO of the clinical trial company. But you gotta pay your dues and learn. It can start at your institution. It can start in your practice. If you, if your institution has an institutional review board, an IRB, an institutional review board, they actually run drug studies at that institution. They could teach you how to get started, who to talk to, who to start on with, because all clinical trials go through IRBs. A drug study doesn't happen unless an IRB has approved it. That's either locally or regionally. You can partner with other people in your community who do clinical trials. That's really a great way to learn. They may be the PI, the principal investigator, but they may be looking for some help in recruitment. Have them send you their sheets on how to enroll or what the kind of patients they're looking for. And you start sending them patients. Some people get like a finder's fee for that. I don't think that's a great idea, but that's okay. But then you can become a sub-I, a sub-investigator for that PI and sign on to do his next two or three trials. You can be in another location across town, but soon after doing three or four of these, you'll be doing your own clinical trials. You can also get these opportunities by talking to the companies themselves. While the pharmaceutical reps are great resources of all information for you, clinical trials are not run by pharmaceutical reps and the commercial side the advertising side, the promotional side of a drug company, they're run by medical affairs. So if you ask a pharmaceutical rep, they should put you in touch with either a medical science liaison, person who usually works for medical affairs within a drug company, and medical affairs usually runs drug development and new clinical trials, or the MSL can help you um, have the right conversations, or maybe sign on, or maybe go to investigator meetings to learn more about this. So again, medical affairs runs clinical trials. The commercial folks, the sales reps do not. So you can be an observational study site. You can help be a site that is not interventional, but just 
records what happens in real life. I got involved with trials with um, the, uh, the Corona data set, um, now called Core, Core Evitas, um, and the National Data Bank. Um, these are large observational data sets that teach you a lot about individual patient assessments serially over time, which is really what goes on in a drug, a drug study. If there's a drug, if there's not a drug, it's an observational study. And again, you know, there's no specific intervention that you're studying. You can go to big meetings where research is being presented and talk to the investigators or talk to the sponsors and see if they can help you get started in clinical trials. And lastly, recognize that although you may want to do this, less than 10% of you, I think, are capable of actually doing this. So there's drug studies, there's outcome studies, there's practice-based studies. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do. And again, that can all be dictated by your environment and who you work with. A clinical trial is a planned experiment where, which involves volunteers, usually patients, sometimes normal controls, normal people in phase one trials, and, 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 and is designed to assess an intervention um, and its outcomes on a disease state. That may or may not involve a placebo. That may or may not involve an active drug control. So the drug study may not have a placebo arm to it, but may compare the new drug to those who are treated with methotrexate alone. What is the need for this? Um, I think the need is that there is a gigantic unmet need in so many treatment areas. Uh, we're not as great as we'd like to think we are. Patient care suffers when we run out of options. We need better outcomes for better outcomes. We need better options. This is usually done through either l l developing new drugs or doing studies that teach us better ways of using existing drugs or new drugs. This often happens in the context of, uh, of research, whether it's clinical trial research or not. The bottom line is that these like rheumatoid arthritis or, or psoriatic arthritis or lupus, there's no urgency by most of us. We're doing really well managing these patients. You know, we got a lot of choices. You know what to do, you know. But the fact is the outcomes are disastrous in up to 20% of patients. That 40% of patients are not controlled at all. And there's no urgency here. We need more research. We need more investigators. We need more innovative thinkers to get to better solutions for the next century. Yogi Berra said, if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to keep getting what we got. Uh, and that's a Yogi Berraism. And that's so true, meaning there's no progress unless we do research. And you can be a part of that. I want to remind you that research is part of that important triad in ed medical education and funding. Funding, education, research, they all run together. You can be a part of that or not. And that's what we're talking about here with this particular opportunity. Uh, the, along the way, you're going to have to learn the ethics of clinical trials, the federal um, regulations about informed consent, that's uh, 45 CFR 46.116. You need to know that there are rules to everything you do and you must comport to those rules or else get in trouble with the feds. And that's not nice. That's not fun. That's a serious violation. So, and then the other thing about research that gets in the way is placebo. People 
can't seem to wrap their head around placebo, yet placebo exists everywhere. Coming to your clinic is a placebo. You wearing the white coat and the stethoscope is a placebo. You acting doctorly is a placebo. Um, it comes from the term, the Latin term placere, which means to please. Um, it, it, when it comes to a drug, that means that the product is set itself is inert and, and should, should not exert a therapeutic effect, but in fact it does, and that's the placebo effect. So the placebo effect minus taken away from the actual drug effect, an ACR20 of 60 in the treatment group, minus an ACR20 of 20% in the placebo group, means that the therapeutic effect of that drug is 40%. And that's a really solid number in a lot of clinical trials. I was involved in the GATE study back in 2006, published in New England Journal. It's the glucosamine a chondroitin uh, arthritis intervention trial gate. It was a study of almost 1,600 patients who were randomized to six months of placebo, glucosamine, chondroitin, chondroitin plus glucosamine, celecoxib, and those were the five arms. Um, Celebrex was equal to placebo. Glucosamine was not effective at all. In fact, placebo was often better than, um, I'm looking, often better than glucosamine and chondroitin individually. So, again, placebos are gigantically important in proving the efficacy of the drug. The thing is that you as an investigator are going to be blinded. The patient is going to be blinded to what drug they receive. That's called a double-blind placebo-controlled trial. And you can't make a recommendation or a guesstimate on what the odds are of getting better. So, Given that in my studies that I've done over the years, the lowest I think I've ever been involved with was about 15% placebo response. I was involved in the anti-CD5 immunotoxin trial that had a 53% placebo response. And yet I've been involved in clinical trials where the active drug response was as low as 40% and as high as 70%. Is there not a tremendous amount of overlap there? All you can say to patients is, I hope you get better. If you get better on a placebo, fantastic. If you get better on real drug, fantastic. I want you to be better. If you're not better by a certain time frame, well, then we can think about exiting that study, going on to compassionate use, other alternatives that may exist within that study design. But you may still be thinking, nobody's going to respond to placebo. It's just kind of, well, you need to do clinical trials. If I showed you some of my experiences, your, your teeth would fall out, your eyes would pop out of your head. You'd be totally shocked about the efficacy of placebo, which is why I still believe a patient in a clinical trial is going to get better care. They now have like three phone numbers to call at any time study coordinator, the backup study coordinator, and your cell phone number if anything's going wrong with them. You are going to assess them better than they would be assessed in their practice, in, in your usual practice. Um, and then you have safeguards about them getting worse and the need to move on to future therapy. So again, I think it's important to know that this is a good thing for patients. And if you don't believe it, then you shouldn't be doing clinical trials. But for many of you, I think that this is a really interesting area for your career and for your patients, if not for your practice. Consider getting involved in clinical trials. Tune into next week's podcast. Take care.